What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast. This podcast is powered by Rep for Responders. This episode is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and other platforms. This episode is sponsored by No Matter What Apparel and Valor Supplements. Both companies are owned by first responders, so let's give back to first responders who give back to us. Use the code Inside the Lab in caps for 10% off your checkout at www.nomatterwhatapparel.com. Use the code RFR10 in caps for 10% off your checkout at www.valorsupplements.net. In this episode, myself and Jay had the honor to speak with former NFL fullback and Super Bowl winner, Keith Evans. Keith did not hold back about his football career, but even more important, his life experiences. He spoke volume about his struggles in life, his suffering, his successes and failures. Today, he uses his life experiences, skills and knowledge to help men of all ages learn and grow together. This episode has a lot of suffering, but as we know, suffering is part of life to grow. I really hope you guys enjoy this episode and share with your family and friends. Me and Jay needed this episode. It's a great way to kick off 2021. I hope you guys are enjoying the content and please reach out to us if you ever need anything. Stay safe. And we're live. Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast. Season five now, Jay, episode two. It's been a while, but we're back. New year. Same mission. That's how it goes down. Um, Jay, kick it over to you, man. What do you got? Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast. Uh, it has been a little bit of a, a, a of a hiatus, but uh, we're back, and nonetheless, still spreading the the mission statement of Reps for Responders, uh, which is the power behind Inside the Labyrinth podcast. We got a great guest today. Um, right before we went live, uh, we had a nice little conversation. We got to know one another, and um, I'm very excited for this uh, this episode. So I'm going to kick it back over to you. So you can you can introduce our guest. Thank you, Jay. Um, very excited for today. Been following this man for a while now. Um, this is going to be, you know, it's just a true honor to have you know men like him and you know our, our second uh, our second NFL guy. You know, we had Chris Gronkowski, and now we're able to have Heath Evans, Heath Evans on here. So Heath, how you doing, man? How how you doing right now today, and where you're grounded, where your feet are at? Man, I'm doing great. To to say I'm blessed would be an understatement. And uh, you had Chris on, who was 44. Now you got another knucklehead 44 on here. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how we'll see how the viewers respond. Oh, I think it's I think it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to hop right into your labyrinth. The labyrinth is your mind. It's your journey. It's the ins and outs. Where you went, who you met through on your path, on your journey, um, and the kind of shields and swords and all that stuff you got to get to where you are today. So. Uh, kick us, uh, kick us back to a young Heath, high school, playing sports. Did you enjoy it? Where'd you grow up? And how was kind of high school for Heath? Ooh, long. I'm long-winded, boys. Yeah, y'all should ask me a short <laughs> question. Listen, I was, I was the, I was the chubby, fat, four-year-old white boy that had a dream to play in the NFL, and everyone told him you're nuts. And I remember when I was eight years old. I looked, my dad's attorney was at the house and we lived in this two bedroom apartment. And um, he asked me, little Heath, what you want to do when you grow up? I was like, oh, I'm going to play in the NFL. And I said it like I was going to go drink a glass of water. Like it was just matter of fact. 
And I remember he, he played, Mike Kranz was his name. And he played at Northwestern. And I remember him looking at my dad being like, the little guy just don't have a clue how hard it is. And to say that I was like, oh, screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong. It wasn't that. But there was something that kind of set in my heart that day that was like, oh, okay. Kind of like the first time I'd been somewhat challenged as a, as a little fake man. And, you know, growing up through the, the game of football, which I love from, I mean, the first time that I could really comprehend what the game was, and we'd sit down and watch it with my pops. My dad would get so frustrated because I would, I'm too ADD. I could never just sit down and watch. I'd want to be out in the front yard playing and being the great dad that he was, he'd go out and back and out and back. We'd watch two minutes of the game and play 30 minutes of it in the yard. Um, mm-hmm. But high school had its challenges, you know. Uh, at eighth grade, I was still kind of fat and chubby. I wanted to play running back. You're too slow. So I went to a guy in my church, Ken Stone, played 11 years in the NFL. How do I get fast? He told me. I did that all summer. Got really lean and got really fast over that summer. And then my freshman year, I spent a couple games on JV. Too many guys were getting hurt, so they forced me to go to varsity. And I was a 14-year-old punk kid playing varsity football in South Florida. And uh, from there, I realized really quick that the hard work that it took that summer to get fast and do all those agility trees and to eat right, that it was kind of the first step. Because the, the, in South Florida, the talent is stupid rich. And I yeah. started looking around going like, man, I don't, I don't have what he has. And I don't have what he has. And man, this whole, okay, hold on. So I started asking a lot of questions. And luckily, thank God, I had a lot of people that gave me good answers. And then I just put the work in. And from there, that journey started to take off. Okay. So in, uh, in, in South Florida, right, um, I, it's a very rich football tradition. Um, were there anybody that you came up uh, across in high school that are now either in the NFL or played like big time um, college football? You got any names offhand? Oh boy, I used to watch Freddie T, Fred Taylor. He was at Glade Central. Now, now I went to, man, I, <laughs> hey, I always tell people, and this is no disrespect to Jim Brown or Walter Payton or Emmett or any of the, the beast of all the beasts. You know, I even, Sean Alexander is still one of my best friends, the 2005 NFL MVP. Yeah, Sean yeah. won the NFL MVP on Doritos and Sour Patch Kids. So if we got any young, kids, <laughs> young athletes watching this, do not do the Sean Alexander diet. Um, but Freddie T, man, like in Florida, we've had a lot of football gods. But I've said everyone, man, if Freddie T would have had two healthier hamstrings, he probably would have gone down as the greatest running backs ever. You know, he just, he had the ability. I mean, this guy was a rocked up 225. I mean, people think, oh, he's too big. I'm like, no, no, no. You should have seen some of the physical specimens that we got to see in Florida. But oh, Freddie man. T, I've never seen anyone as big and as fast and as agile and as well balanced as him. I'm like, he, I'm like, God made one of you, Freddie T. And we still talk every <laughs> once in a while. But to have guys that were just so much more physically gifted than I was, but guys that were just kind of setting the bar for excellence in so many ways. And listen, I went to a small little private Christian school. My junior year in high school, we dressed 17 guys. We were no powerhouse. Matter of fact, we sucked. But, yeah. but to have the, the vision of like, okay, th- this is where I got to be. And they've got things that I don't, but I've got some resources that they don't. I- I've got a dad at home. I've got a great mm-hmm. high school coach. I've got people believing in me. Not everyone had all the benefits that I had. So I never looked at myself as well as me. I looked at it as like, okay, I've got things that they don't have. They got things that I don't have. So let's, let's, let's find a way to make this work. 
And, and yeah. somehow that disposition, that mentality has served me really, really well over life. Do you think um, the, the support group that you had around you, you mentioned that you had a dad at home, you, um, you mentioned that you were involved in the church. You think that had a, um, had a lot to do with some of your success in life? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, listen, I, I can't change people's pathways now. Like, listen, you guys know, ultimately, like we can't have this revisionist history, despite like where we are at as a country today, trying to go down and tear down our past. No, no, no. Let's learn from our horrible past. Let's learn from the good of the past. Let's take it and then let's maneuver it forward. So when a, the, the men that I get the opportunity to love on and, and share time with, like I am with you guys today, it's never about, no, no, let's, let's not go change it, but let's, let's correct what needs to be corrected. And so Amen. a lot of my messaging is today, I, I want to help men master their manhood so they can stay home and they can be good dads. We all know we, we need masculine influence. We need hard masculine love. We need hard masculine discipline. But having the benefits of a great high school head coach that taught me, hey, Heath, my, my senior year, I was the one carrying the water jugs after practice. I was the one carrying stuff to the bus. Why? when it was supposed to be the freshmen or the sophomores. Well, because he taught me that true leadership is a servant's heart. True leadership is, is a man that's going to love other people and put his own wants and his own desires below everyone else's and, and support everyone else. And so yeah. I had the benefit of, of real men. I had the benefit of men that, that a dad that spanked me and disciplined me, a dad that grounded me, a, a, a dad that demanded excellence of me. And then I, those, those men you can't quantify the, um, the impact that they had on my life. The things that I'm taught every single day, man, oh, thanks for Coach Loveland. Oh, man, thanks for Rodney Allison, my crazy running back coach at Auburn. Man, I can't, thank you for what he taught me. Oh, my mom, oh, my dad, oh, my pastor. Like, those are benefits that I never take for granted. And I'm, but I, but the, the lessons they taught me are what I'm trying to push forward on. Amen to that. I always tell people uh, it is very important to partake in fellowship like that because um, it's the small things like that that help create um, great futures for young men. Um, mm. I feel a lot of a lot of guys fail to realize that everybody, you know, wants to be this macho guy with all this bravado. But what ends up happening is that, you know, the one thing that they forget is that in order to build a great community, you need to support others around you. And I think a lot of people forget that because um, they put their, uh, their their macho bravado ahead of that. And would, if you just realize that your job as a human being is to help other human beings, and that's a simple task, yeah. but people lose sight of that because they get caught up in some of the, the worldly uh, desires. You know what I mean? They put a lot of that ahead of what the true essence is in being a human being, and that's just helping others. So yeah. I'm happy that you mentioned that, man, because... I think people need to hear that, especially someone who has taken your path and is as uh, successful as you are, you, you are, and, um, you know, has taken the path that you've taken, you know, like you said, you went to a small Christian high school, you were able to, 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 you know, use the resources around you to develop a skill set that then, you know, allowed you to go to a, a great university, you know what I mean, and play some phenomenal football there, and, and then that led to more things. So I'm happy that you mentioned that, because a lot of our listeners um, are young men, and um, I think they need to hear things like this because it'll put them on the right path. So thank you for that, man. No, of course. Can I add on to that for a second? Absolutely. As, as humans, especially as men, we are built. Like our, our soul gets healthy and happy when we are 
serving others, and submitting to authority. Now, listen, I believe that we're all supposed to submit to God. God, what, what's your truth? And then that's how I've built my life. And it has provided peace and power and purpose. But the world tells us that real power is gained by taking someone else's power. That's a lie. Oh, yeah. That's a lie. Yes, it is. Real power is, is having this, this strength and this humility that's, that's always under control that is bent on the needs of others. First and foremost is men to our wives and to our kids. How can I serve them? How can I edify them? How can I build them up? How can I literally lay down my life for the benefit of my blood, my, my family? But when we get to the point where we believe the world's definition of masculinity, that's why the, 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 the horrible feminist movement is wanting to beat down masculinity because masculinity hasn't been shown properly. Masculinity is love, service, turn the other cheek, when necessary, use force to be a bully to the bully. But the, our, our first response is real men. I mean, listen, you guys have been in the pits of defending the less fortunate. You guys have been in situations, guns in hands that I'll never be in. With the, per, with, with the, the mindset of, hey, someone's being bullied that needs our protection. That's what a real man is. At, at all costs, let's diffuse the situation. Let's love other people. Let's serve other people. But if necessary, men are men for a freaking reason. But we're defenders. By nature, we have a, a, an aggression to us that needs to be humbled and perfectly placed. It's going to be perfectly placed through the, through the absolute truth that I'm here to serve and I'm here to submit. And if we're not submitting to authority, we are missing the real true power in life. Because when I want to do things my way, when I play God, my life has been a wreck. I have yeah. destroyed people. I've destroyed my ex-wife. I've hurt my two daughters that I love more than life. I have embarrassed other people. I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed my savior God because I had my God badge on. Like, I'm going to do it my way. Hoorah, hear me roar. Man, I screwed up everything. But when I'm submitting to truth and I'm serving others, man, life has peace, it has power, and it has purpose. And what more are we after in life? People want peace. They want to be able to rest at night. They want their brain to be able to shut down and just find a place of rest. We want real power. We want to feel like, man, I'm here for a purpose and I'm serving that. And then, and then, and then that purpose is, man, I, I know who I am. I know whose I am so that I don't have this false arrogance of like, let me go prove to the world who I am. No, no, no. I know who I am so I can act in security based on the truth that I'm, that I'm, I'm living my life on. And, and that is, that's what men need. It's really what every broken heart needs all across the world. That's a powerful statement right there, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hey, happy man. that you added to that. Yeah. You got, I, you got anything uh, for that, Frankie? Oh, I do. You know, come on, man. You know, I'm, I've been building up ready, man. Put me in, coach. Uh, <laughs> God, he thanks, man, because it's a we program. It's not a me program. And you said that exactly. When you start taking out, you know, there's Frank's plan and then there's God's plan. It might not always go Frank's plan, but I got to accept that. And I got a quote that I was trying to pull up on my phone is I, I got it the other day. It said, if you're looking for revenge, you can start by digging two graves for yourself and for the other. Yeah. Because if you have the hate in your heart or seek on getting back, you only suffer just as much in the end. And that's exactly what you talked about, man. Um, you know, a lot of people like from the taking the taking, you know, you can only it's only going to catch up to you. I mean, unless you're clinically insane, you know what I mean? But 
the things that we do is we realize that it's it it's not only just about us because you can't do this alone and you just said it he you had your mentors when you were younger you know so did i but then i started trying to go on my path and believing something that i'm not then got my mentors back you know it's part of the hero journey it's becoming a new person learning living multiple lives on this planet you know that's one thing that god or your higher power has allowed us to do is to be resilient right change resiliency is being able to change but then adapt to that change you know what i mean and become resilient so i'm really happy that you brought that up because you know and and now for anyone listening if you're going through a hard time you can change you know that's the, that's the gift that you know we're trying to promote here is that you have the power to change and you're going to need some you know i guess mentors or master jedis right if you're a star wars fan on the way to te- you know we you know guys have already been through it heath has been through it and he and he's being himself now because he doesn't want you to go through the hell that he had to go through right jesus yeah. went through the desert for 40 days and 40 nights right yeah. he he had think about that suffering you know um and it was a choice right the the um if you look at the other um north mythology north mythology odin right he hung himself on a tree for nine days so other people could follow like you don't have to suffer i'll i went through my mistakes you don't have to suffer anymore you know so just really powerful stuff man so i thank you for that heath well you you hit the hey i'd say you're welcome but i stole it all you know what i mean most of the stuff that y'all are going to hear today i stole from the word of god all the other stuff i've stolen from coaches and pastors and teachers but my pops you know, told me to kind of tackle what you, or to kind of add to what you said, bitterness is an acid that eats its own container. So when I get angry or when I'm, I'm unforgiving or I hold someone more importantly to a standard that I don't hold myself to, and that's really where we get ourselves in the traps of life is we, we judge other people based on their absolute actions. And we judge our, our own self based on our intentions. So when, when I'm short patience with Ava or Naomi or Chrissy, you know, I'm like, well, I, I meant, and I was trying to do good. But when one of them have an attitude towards me, I hold them to the standard of, oh, this is what they did instead of, do I really think my wife's intentions were to hurt my feelings? Do I really think my sister's intentions? Do I really think my daughter's intention? So when we can remove a, an unjust judgment, it's amazing how fast bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness will dissolve. But we've got to be willing to be transparent, look at ourselves accurately and say, man, my dysfunction stinks as much as their dysfunction does. It just might look a little different. But that acid of bitterness, if we can be honest with ourselves, Jay, Frank, like we can look back in life and be like, man, when I got angry and then let me follow the next, you know, two, three years of life man, that dysfunction really set in. And not only did it destroy me, it destroyed others. And, and it was, it ravaged families. It ravaged my heart. And so those, the, the beauty of, of forgiveness is it, it doesn't set the other person free. It sets the hostage me free. Thank you. That's, yeah. that's yes. what we've got to get. Forgiving ourselves. Stuff, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you guys are fighting with, your, your first responders is childhood trauma that's been tacked on from a wife trauma that's been tacked on to a, a, a bad boss trauma. 
and then you've been put in a field of influence with with police work where you have all right to have some um, distress and, and anxiety over about what you've had to do in line of duty. But it's all this it's all this pattern of hurt and heartache. And when we deal with hurt and heartache one at a time, we can get free from it. But when we live a pattern of resentment, anger, unforgiveness, this stuff builds up. Our hearts aren't built that way. Our brains aren't built to handle this type of abuse. And the abuse is most often self-abuse after the original abuse that was perpetuated on us. And we've all had it in different ways. Most likely, I'm never going to experience what you guys have experienced and some of the hardships you have got, you guys have been through in the line of duty. But our brains are all similar in the sense of trauma. And we have to deal with trauma with truth. And most of the time, truth is hard to hear at first. Truth yep. is convicting. Truth makes me look internally instead of blame because what has blame ever done? Nothing. It's never solved anything. Mm -hmm. Self-pity, it's just pride. What has pride ever solved? Nothing. It actually just perpetuates the issue. So until we get back to the root of truth, the men that we love so much and the men that we serve and, and us honestly taking care of ourselves, like we got to deal in truth. Our society today wants to point the finger, wants to be like this to all my dysfunction and be like, look at everybody else. Else, yeah. The last year, true. the last year has proven it. I mean, we we like the, the dysfunction of our country is is it's it, it's dumbfounding to me. But I'll shut up. I'm getting I'm getting fired up. <laughs> Jay, y'all are in trouble. Y'all get me fired up. <laughs> I was getting fired up. I, I'm two things I want to say. I want to say from that. Um, one is, uh, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. Let's go. Uh right on the money, trauma, our, our addictions. And now I'm not talking not only alcohol, I'm talking drugs, I'm talking sex, I'm talking gambling, I'm talking hiding, I'm talking social media. That is a cover up to an escape mechanism to forget about and not deal with that trauma, right? Um, it's peeling the onion and saying, this is what I chose as my coping mechanism, right? I chose alcohol, other people choose other things. Um, and this is what I have to, be truthful and it's going to hurt in the beginning, but that's what life is about. You cannot go right with the great Buddha. You cannot go throughout life without suffering. You know what I mean? Like this is how we learn. This is who we become. This is how, what life is meant to be a teacher. So thank you for that. And when you brought that up about, uh, you know, blaming other people. And I just said it like a football analogy. Uh, we ran a wing team, a wing team offense in high school. You know, I played split end. So I did a lot of stock blocking. So when I was younger, you know, it's like I stop block. It's like, you know, uh, you, you know, you can think to the running back. Oh, well, if you got here a second earlier, you would have got through, you know. But for me, it's like, OK, did I really block as hard as I can? Or, for example, for Heath, you know, the tackle missed a block. Well, did he miss the block or did I really hit the hole hard enough? You know, it's like and once you're able to accept that and not start putting the blame on other people. I mean, I think football is one of the greatest teachers in life, so I'll stop. But it's just just like anything else being football to me was and jay you can agree and heath it wasn't about football it was about me being a young man and making the college level at i played at suny Cortland. it's d3 but being able to experience that with other other men what you talk about heath is it's just it was just simply amazing for me if i didn't have football in my life i think i would have never been the person i am and God, who knows where I would be. So 
I just wanted to put that out there for all the listeners who have played football and probably can agree that it's more than just football. People always ask me, oh, if you ever have, oh, my bad, Jason, go ahead, bud. No, no, no. I was, was going to piggyback right on that. It was because, um, you know, everybody that listens to us, right, you know, we give people uh, a bit of the, uh, a little bit of like life aspects right but you know today is about like you right so you know we, we we spoke about your high school career right briefly and then i wanted to really really pick your brain about auburn man like what was the experience because I, I, you know like for the listeners who don't know you um tell us about auburn tell us about your experience there um you know i mean i know you got drafted in 2001 by the seahawks but like, yeah. just tell us about your whole, like, experience at Auburn. Because I am dying to know <laughs> about the War Eagle here. So Yeah, I'm, man. I'm... Jay, you're, you're a beast and you're a great question asker because you segued perfectly into what Frankie had was just talking about suffering. Man, my time at Auburn was full of a lot of just that suffering that didn't make sense. My freshman year under Terry Bowden, I was like freshman all everything. I played in the first three games, had a couple touchdowns. I was becoming the crowd favorite playing LSU, catch a 54-yard touchdown pass right down the Ooh. middle, split the safeties, outrun the two safeties from LSU. People are like, who is this dude? I'm like, <laughs> that was Upper Florida. All kinds of arrogant. Next play in, literally, quarterback kind of throws a ball in the dirt. I try to slide in to grab it. My ankle or my toes get caught in the grass. Literally, my whole foot wraps around the back, snap my ankle. Luckily, I didn't destroy my knee, but like that, the, the freshman All-American season went down the drink went down the drain. Oh. So listen, I was raised by a Marine. You know what I mean? Like we don't we don't ever feel sorry yeah. for ourselves, you know. Um, and so I'm like, hey, what's wrong? Oh, it's a fibula. Oh, that's a non-weight bearing bone. Okay, so they're gonna do surgery, gonna put a plate in eight screws. Hey, how long does this normally take to recover? Oh, about four months and you'll be back for spring football. Nah, a bone that heals like in what four to six weeks, right? They're like, yeah, yeah. So like after that. If it, is it just pain? If, if the bone's healed, can I play if I can handle the pain? I'm like, well, yeah, maybe, but it's more complicated than that. I'm like, I oh, will screw that. I'm like, so I'm young and healthy. Okay, we're going to make it four weeks. And I'm going to be back in six weeks. They told me I was nuts. Well, I got back for Georgia and Alabama, the last two games of the year. Uh, Dr. Andrews, the greatest orthopedic in the world, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, you, you name it. He's done us all. He's like, this will never happen. Well, he's like, doggone it, you proved me wrong. So we get back. So I play great against Georgia and Alabama. Terry Bowden gets fired. Tommy Tupperville comes in. He comes in. One of my great games my freshman year was against Ole Miss, where he was at the, the year before. I basically single-handedly beat Ole Miss. He comes in and says, ah, we don't think you have what it takes to play in the SEC. I'm like, I'm like do we need to go watch film together? Because I think I worked <laughs> pretty easily last year, you know? Um, made no sense. I literally rode the bench for the first eight games of the year. Tommy Tupperville at 238 pounds moved me to defensive tackle, not defensive end, not a rush end, not a linebacker, nothing. He moved me to defensive tackle in the SEC. I'm 238 messing with guys that are 330. Yeah, three plus, yeah. Ragdolled, beat down every day. To boys on the, why don't you just, just transfer? Don't, you got this, just go somewhere else. I just, I, 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 there was something in me. I'm going to praise mom and dad a lot. And then I'm going to praise just like nature of what God's given me. I just didn't want to quit. I didn't want to form at, a, at 18, 19 years old, a pattern of quitting. 
And so I rode the bench for the first eight weeks. We sucked at Auburn. We couldn't run the ball. We couldn't do crap. But I waited patiently. I worked hard. I did what I was told to do. I, I submitted to the mission of the team, what's best for the team, instead of looking at me, 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 me. And then eventually yeah. I got my chance. Well, I played great those last three games, actually lead the team in rushing, you know, in three games, um, what the other team had done the previous eight games, uh, no bowl game. The next year we bring in a guy named Rudy Johnson, who's one of the best running backs that ever hit the SEC. Um, yes. And then I, I kind of play behind him my junior year. Rudy's going to leave early to go to the pros. I go ask Tommy Tupperville. I, I averaged six and a half yards of carry in my sophomore year when I had the ball in my hands. I said, hey, listen, I'm not asking for anything, but there's no one on the depth chart that's proven any more than me. Will I at least go into spring football as your starting running back? He says, no, nah, we really, we're not looking for your, your type of running back. So he actually <laughs> petitioned the NFL. Turned out I was going to be the first fullback drafted if I went out and ran my 4-4 or 4-5-40, which everyone knew I would. Um, and so I was kind of forced to leave Auburn early. But if you look at my Auburn career, people are like, how did you ever even get drafted? You didn't even play that much. <laughs> How are you going to be a third round? Like third round for a fullback is basically first round in this. First game. round. Yeah, you know I mean? absolutely. And so, um, but it's, it's that first kind of like thing that I point to when I teach kids about suffering. Well, don't quit. Don't run. I don't know what the future holds for you, but I know if we start forming a pattern of I quit, I'm tapping out, I'm going somewhere else. Quitting is a much easier pattern to form, a habit to form, than winning. Guys, y'all know winning, winning yep. is tough. Winning in relationships is tough. Winning at work is tough. Winning in life is tough. But learning the process to suffer well, why do people ask, you know, why do I make my workout so hard? Because half of it's about the workout. The other half's about the mentality. Because why Bill Belichick trusted me so quick was he knew in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, when the game was on the line, I might, I'm nowhere near the most talented. He just knew I wouldn't break mentally because of how I was built. And that's what he wanted. And those are the type of men that I want around me. I want to encourage men around me to become men like that. And the truth is through transparency and accountability and humility, asking for help, we've all got it in us. And that's what the great game of football has the potential to teach us if we're great students. If we're arrogant students, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. We see a bunch of guys going to New England every year my way. Bill's got eight freaking Super Bowl rings. Tommy had six. Still coming up barking like, let's do it my way. Er, throw me the ball. My, what a, you idiots. Humble yourself <laughs> and learn what greatness is about. But every year, what do we see? We see fake masculinity. We see fake toughness. We see fake manhood. Go in there and try to bark orders. I want my touchdowns. My stats, my tackles, me, 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 me. And Bill's like, eh, get your yeah. rear end out the door because we don't play with that cancer here. So as yeah. men, if we'll be like, hey, teach me. Let me learn in the suffering. Let me learn in the pit. That, that's how we go from the pit to the palace. You said one thing that I actually took a note when you said it, learning the process to suffer well. That hit home like you wouldn't even believe, man, because I think a lot of people lose sight of that they look like th there's a process to this and it's not a pleasant one uh, learning to uh really sit there and 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 be and like and embrace the suffering it people aren't built like that and it's like if you sit there and just kind of ride it out at the end of the tunnel there's some light i just i just think people get lost in that whole hey this is hard 
and I can't really, you know, see this working out in my benefit, but it, like you said, learning the process to suffer well, it, that to me is like, I'm going to go home and break this thing down because mm -hmm. I believe in the process. I've always believed in the process. Um, I don't have much of an ego. I kind of, you know, I love being a part of a team, you know, there, there's no I in team, you know, but people don't get that. You know, it, it, it's like everything that I've heard you say is you put others before you, you know, for the greater good of the team or for the greater good of my family. And that is a huge part of what a successful human being is, is putting others before you serving others. Yeah. And I, I just love that you said that, that learning the process to suffer well, you know, I mean, dude, I got asterisks by that. I, as soon as you said it, I wrote it down and I started up, man. Well, that, guys, is, that is clutch. Yeah, well, you guys already know this because this is what you're doing. You're trying to create the pathway for transparency. Nobody suffers well alone. Frank, yeah. you mentioned earlier that the, the 40 days in the desert. Well, what people forget, Satan came at Jesus with all this kind of like half a half a Bible verse. Well, what Jesus do? He reflected on the truth of God. So he was he was connected with truth and he fought back in that suffering with truth. Now, our truth is, men, we have to be transparent. We have to have a brotherhood. We cannot do this alone. There is no aspect of life, whether it's faith or family or fitness, that we can do at our best alone. Are there men that can survive by themselves? Yes. Yeah. Who wants to survive? Literally, who just wants to survive this thing we call life? I want to thrive. And I want, I want to thrive, to come yeah. with me, you know? So point number one. You cannot suffer well alone. It's got to be with, with men doing life together. And that's kind of all three of our lives mission of what we're kind of putting the stake in the ground on. Hey, let's do this. It's got to be put our differences aside. We're going to love each other, serve each other. You know what? I don't have all the answers. Frankie, Jason, y'all don't have the So, but we're, we're pulling from each other. Um, the, the second thing is about suffering is it's guaranteed. And, and, I, and I, I'm always hesitant when I come on off someone else's platform, but all throughout scripture, and we don't understand it, but in the suffering is when we get strong or when we get beat down and lose our footing. But there's these two pathways that if we follow truth, one can be glorious and one can be just more destruction. And then somehow the goodness of God is displayed at the end of the suffering and his his creatures that he's made all of us. I mean, he literally says he knows the hairs on, on your head, Jay, he knows the hairs on your head, Frankie, and he knows that I've got less hair than, than both of y'all, you know, on my head, but he knows us intimately. So he strategically, as hard as it sounds, places us in seasons of suffering so that, that we can follow truth and be put on this pathway to, to really our, our peace and our, our power and our purpose, you know? And so, that's the beauty. It's a hard message nobody wants to hear. I mean, I, yep. I hesitate to even bring it up, but like, I can't tell you how many times in my football career I was told I was the wrong skin color. Oh, like, yeah. You know, it, it's, and, and so, I, and it was, was it disheartening at times? I'm thankful for it because it gave me the most minor taste, the most minor taste of what my black brothers can feel at times from our society. And so I, I, I could- Happy you brought that up. Happy yeah. you brought that up. I could have rejected it and been like, oh man, woe's me. I'm going to go play tennis or I'm going to do it. It's just such a weak mindset. But this is what a lot of parents are, are perpetrating. 
this day and age. This is what a lot of politics are perpetrating. This is what a lot of people, they're well-intended. They think we're helping people by coddling people. No, push men towards the fire and then come along yeah. with them. Put their arm on them and be like, hey, we'll get through it together. I can't change your lot in life, but we have choices from here on out. And so it's, it's, it is a, is it a mentality? Yes, but it's a mentality that's built on truth of, of, of what, what are we going to do with, with the suffering that comes our way? You know, because it, it is literally a refiner's fire. You know, that, that same thing that makes pure gold, you know, can burn leaves up, you know? And so can we just accept the process? You know, it's going to hurt. But if we're doing it well, man, my hurting seasons, I've had brothers like you by my side. And, and that's the beauty of life, man, because being at the mountaintop alone sucks. I've been there. It ain't no fun. There's no one to enjoy it with. We ain't built to do life together. Mm -hmm. Man, when we suffer well together through workouts, through diets, through relationships, through tough marriages, through whatever it is, man, when we, when we battle stuff and we win, we celebrate together and then there's peace and there's power and there's purpose in that. And that's just, that's what I want for men. Man, I love, I, everything you're saying today is hitting home, man. Um, like you said, you know, they, they mentioned to you that you know, you were the wrong skin tone. And you could have used that as a crutch. You know, you could have let that break you, but you did. And like you said, you found um, from those statements, from those comments, like, you know, you felt what these other guys on your team probably have lived through their whole life. You know what I mean? And the fact that that hit home to you is clutch. It speaks uh, about, you know, the man that you are. You know what I mean? I don't think a lot of people would take a statement like that and really compare that to other people. But like you caught a little bit of something that they've dealt with their whole life and you said, oh, well, you know, I can understand it, but I'm going to use this as a driving force to push me forward. And so I'm, I'm happy that you recognize those statements and you felt for those, those guys in your team that probably since the day that they were conceived, they were told that they wouldn't be anything because of the, uh, the, the color of their skin or because of the, the environment that they were from. And, you know, those guys ended up sitting on a team with you and defeating those odds and eventually going on to doing greater things. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's key to me that you said that and that really hits home because, you know, I'm a, I'm a black guy in law enforcement, you know what I mean? And right now it's super, you know, it's, it's a weird place for me to be because of, you know, who I am as a person and, you know, my profession and the color of my skin, you know, people look at me and, you know, they asked me, how can I do a job like this where I'm oppressing my people and, and so on. So I have to find good reason in my heart why I do this. And I took this job for all the right reasons to help others, to help my community, to help the guys that look like me who were told, you know, I was told at 18 years old that I probably wouldn't live to see 21. Mm. You know, and that was by a high school teacher. He told me that you'll be lucky if you get to see, you know, the age of 21, because according to statistics, you know, one out of every three black men is killed in the street uh, due to gang violence or street violence or whatever have you. And I didn't use that as a crutch. I used that as a driving force. Mm -hmm. And I used that to propel and push me forward. And I, I, and I remember telling this guy, I said, God has a bigger um, path for me. So whatever it is that you tell me that you believe that you think I'm going to become, God has a greater uh, path for me. So whatever it is that you feel like you need to tell me, you know, you can believe whatever it is that you want, but the, the only person or the only being that I rely on is God. Mm. And I don't really care to listen to your 
fictitious statements that you you don't want to tell me that I'm going to become. So yeah, well, and think about how much truth you operated in in that moment. A, now you're living a life. The Bible talks about we suffer these things so we can comfort others. But if I'm closed off with my story, if I'm all like this is about me, then anything that I have learned is never going to be for anybody else. This suffering, yeah, it was for me to be refined, but but most importantly, it was to serve other people. The mm-hmm. stuff that I went through in my first very hard marriage over 13 years, man, there's a lot of it that's shameful on my part and on my part because of what was done to me. But but if I if I if I if I close up, I'm hurting myself. And then I'm restricting brothers like you that might just get one little nugget that I learned from my suffering that might help you in your marriage. Your marriage might thrive for, for 40, 50 years because I, I, I gave you one truth that I learned in suffering. So you at 18 have probably a well-intended person giving you a false stat, thinking that they're trying to serve you, like, woe is you, woe is Jason, but really it was trying to suppress That's and push yeah. you down. And so you, you battled back with truth. No, 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 I'm not accepting you. No, this isn't true. I know who holds my future. I know I have control over my choices and decisions that are going to affect the consequences of my life. I can stay out of the streets. I can do well in school. I can bust my button sports. I can eat clean. I can stay away from the people that are going to get me in trouble. You know, and so that's the message, man. I, I freaking love our time today because you guys deal with the real stuff that that that, that people just don't want to talk about. We are we are programmed with so much just nonsense, just stats that aren't real, news that's fake, just nonsense, and it, and it suppresses the people, and and the so-called people that it's supposedly trying to help, it's suppressing the most. And so, listen, I've never, I know bad cops exist. I've never met one. And I've been around them since I was literally 18 years old with police escorts at Auburn, Alabama. And then the bigger my name got in the NFL and the bigger platform God gave me, I had bigger events where we'd have 50 SWAT guys doing security for Randy Moss and Zach Thomas and Tom Brady and Wes Welker and Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. I've never met a bad cop. I know they exist, but I know you take it, Jay, from from your people, the black race, and from the white people. Stupid people that, that don't have verifiable truth about why you do what you do. And so I just want to applaud you in front of anyone that's listening. I can't imagine how hard it is to do your job this day and age. I support you both. I love you both. We're boys for life. I'm thankful for today. Um, and I'll, I'll shut up. But I, I get super, super agitated with lies and falsehood because it hurts people. It destroys lives. It suppresses people. That's- and we don't need to be suppressed. We still have the greatest country in America. And if we have good choices and good decisions, our consequences will follow in that order. They will be good. Some stories are harder than others. Some, some people come from different lots in life. And I wish I could change it. I wish we could all start on the same pathway. But if, if we're just looking at woe is me all throughout history, we can always find a story to hold ourselves back. But if we're looking yeah. like, nah, I've got choices. I've got decisions. I'm going to take. I'm going to take responsibility as a man. Here we go. Now I've got a chance. Hold myself accountable. Now, yeah. now we got a chance. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. It's, it's all about holding yourself accountable. Accountability is everything. But yeah. I, I, you know, I, you know, I, I still want to stay on this, uh, this football path, right? So you get drafted by the Seahawks, 2001. Let's talk about 
rookie season in the NFL? What was going through your mind? Uh, you know, w w like where, where were you exactly in life? Uh, you know, your rookie year. I, I need to hear this because I'm always fascinated by NFL guys. You know, whenever I get a chance to speak to NFL guys, I like to pick their brains. You know, walking into that stadium for the first time, hearing that crowd, I need yeah. to hear it. I need to, I need to know where your mind was. Well, let's 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 back up a little bit first. So, physically, I was ready. I was a 252-pound freak. You know, Ooh. I was strong. I was fast. The reason I went in the third round was because on my combine day, I ran a 4.56 and a 4.54. On my pro day at Auburn, I dropped a little weight at 247. I ran 4.46 and 4.42. I could jump. I could run. I could catch. I could block. I could do it all. But, but Jay, emotionally, I wasn't ready for the NFL. Uh. I hadn't, truth be told, I hadn't suffered enough of life lessons to be emotionally prepared for what I was getting ready to go into. And what I was mostly getting ready to go into was bad leadership. Mike Holmgren was a great offensive mind. Mm -hmm. He was a horrible head coach. And I say horrible because I believe there's, there's, there's great and horrible. I think if you're going to lead, we lead from, I'm going to serve this team. I'm going to serve these men. I'm going to serve my coaches. It's never about me. And we had a head coach that because I was a Marine boy, I was going to yes, sir, and no, sir, no matter what. I was never going to disrespect authority. And no matter, even I was a grown man, I was 22, 23, 24, 25 when I was there. But in the back of my head at all times, my dad had submit to authority. And I still believe that's the right way to do it up until a point where it becomes dangerous for someone or whatever else. I could have stood up for my manhood, but don't talk to me that way like other teammates did. I still don't feel like that's the right way to respond to authority. I feel like I need to submit to the authorities that God has placed me under, whether that's law enforcement, whether that's now Joe Biden is my president, whoever it may be, I need to submit to that authority until it requires of me to do something that's ungodly. But I got to Seattle and I got the life sucked out of me. Because Mike would chew me out every single day and take out abuse on me that was stored up for other of my teammates because if he chewed them out, they were going to mother F them right back and then he was going to kind of lose his man card in front of the whole team. So I took verbal abuse and assaults for four years. Man, I wanted to retire after four years. I do remember my first wow. game, we were strapping it up. We were in Cleveland. And the first, the first uh, kickoff of the season, I was out on the field on kickoff team and ran down there, didn't do nothing. But I remember looking around and feeling like, man, like this is, I, I, I've done it. But it was one of those small joys yeah. in the midst of a lot of suffering for four years where I was, my, my emotions were stifled. Uh, my athletic ability was stifled. My confidence was absolutely squashed. I was dropping balls that I hadn't dropped in my whole life. My, my, my vision was getting so cloudy because I was thinking so much because I was so fearful because I could never please my head coach. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm built to to want to serve and love others. It's how God made me. It's how my parents raised me. And so for four years, I just wanted to please my head coach. But every week I'd have a message from my head coach, a message from the offensive coordinator, and another message from my running back who was my running back coach who was trying to piece together the two answers he had been given by the head coach and the OC. So I could never be right. And that was just very frustrating. Yeah. And so um, it stifled me. So those first, those first four years, man, I, Jay, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I wanted to quit. And I thought about it a lot. And thank God mm -hmm. I didn't because by the grace of God, I got six more in. Um, but it was, it was that, that what was supposed to be so special 
was really, really hard from the first day in the door in Seattle. Yeah. And then, um, so you played for the Dolphins and then you made it over to the, to the Pats, right? Yep. <laughs> All right. So now you, Dolphins was a short stint. I know that. So now you get over to uh, the legendary Bill Belichick. Let's talk about uh, Patriots. I mean, I'm a Giants guy, but I will. Oh, I hate you. End, end of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, Bill Belichick was in the Giants camp. And, I, and um, you know, I've always had a great respect for Bill Belichick because of the coaching mind. So now I'm sitting down in the interviews. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I get a chance to ask you about the great mind that is Bill Belichick. Can you tell us a little bit about Bill Belichick and your, me, your, your time with the Patriots? Let's, let's, let's not skip over the pathway to the Patriots. Okay, because go ahead. Yeah, very important. So listen, I'm a Florida boy. I was thrilled to be in my backyard, Miami, Florida, playing for the Dolphins. Nick Saban was just there. It was his first year. I'm like, okay. God, I get out of that hellhole Seattle as far as you can be in the, in the Northwest, back home to Florida. Mm -hmm. Six weeks in, hey, in football, we get grade sheets. So Frankie, like every week, you're going to get a 93. You're going to get a 62. You're like, they're going to grade you out on your performance. My lowest performance of the year was an 84. Ooh, they okay. call me, all right, they call me six weeks into the season. We had played a game on a Friday night versus the Kansas City Chiefs, gotten our heads kicked in, but we had a hurricane coming in on Sunday. So they literally moved our game to Friday to get the game in. Sunday, about an hour, me and my dad are out boarding up my home in South Florida for this big hurricane that's coming. I get a call from the Dolphins. Hey, we're making a change at your position. You know, we're going to go to a couple more tight ends instead of a fullback. Nick's going to call you in a minute. He was wondering, you mind bringing your playbook in? Yeah, I'm like, y'all know good and well I live an hour away. I, I drove because I wanted to live in my hometown of Palm Beach. So I drove to work every day, no big deal. But they literally asked me to come in when a hurricane was getting ready to touch down in South Florida to drive my playbook back. Nick calls me back a few minutes later, says, hey, we're going to try this two tight end set. Um, you know, don't sign with anybody else. We might bring you back. I'm like, what? Lo and behold, they, they signed another fullback, whatever. But I wasn't good enough for the – two and four Miami Dolphins at the time. But Bill Belichick saw something in me, not because I was great, but because of a mindset, because of my rearing, because of how I was built. Oh, this is a piece that potentially, if he does what he's taught to do, can fit into this greater puzzle. Yeah. So Frankie, back to your suffering piece. I never see Bill Belichick. I never have four years with the greatest minds in all of organized sports if I don't suffer first. You know, the cool part about that story is, and I – I get the benefit of, of coaching businesses all over North America. I'm no business coach, but I have the, 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 the best mindset of how to train healthy teammates that make healthy teams. Because if you get healthy teammates, you can have thriving teammates, or excuse me, teams that do great business. So what I learned here was I wasn't good enough for Nick Saban. I wasn't good enough for the sucky Miami Dolphins. But it's an extraordinary team that had just won their third Super Bowl ring saw something in me. And 10 days later, I'm back in Miami as a part of the, of the New England Patriots, the world champion New England Patriots, playing my mm -hmm. former team. Now, let me ask everybody watching, did my talent and ability change at all in 10 days? Absolutely not. I didn't learn how to catch better. I didn't get to run faster. I, wasn't, I didn't become Hall of Fame, Heisman Trophy winning football talent in 10 days. But an extraordinary team took an ordinary talent, and then on that day made me appear to be extraordinary. And if young Ooh. men, if you can catch this, 
fight to be a great teammate so you can be uh, an integral part of a great team. I went down there that day, 10 days later after they cut me, Corey Dillon got injured on the first play of the game. He's literally like, I'm like, I did, hey, Jay, I didn't even know the playbook. Frankie, I'm, I'm literally pissing down my leg. I'm like, this is Tom Brady. I got to protect him. Oh, dear God, help me. I've never prayed so hard in my life, you know? And so I am now not fullback. I'm the starting tailback for the rest of the game. I end up having almost 110 all-purpose yards, get the game ball. We beat Miami in Miami. Why did I tell the story? Not because I got any better. Not because I did anything great, but because there was a team built on serving others, a team built on submitting to the authority of Bill Belichick. And, yeah. and, and then as Bill put team first mentality and served all of us, we were all put into a position as all the whole, I mean, how ordinary is the talent of Tom Brady? But what he did, he now appears extraordinary because he submitted and he served the ideology of his college coaches, of his high school coaches, of Bill Belichick, of Scott Pioli, of all these greats, even the Teddy Bruskies and the Mike Brables, all the people Tommy was benefited to be around, he took from all of them. How do I serve him? How do I learn from him? And now you look at the goat of, of all, but why? Yeah. Because he had an attitude of submission to authority. I want to learn. I don't know it all. And then he wanted to serve and love on other people. So in that day, an extraordinary team made an ordinary talent appear extraordinary to the world. That's what great teams do. And that's why, listen, fullbacks, you guys know, I'm like the toenail of an NFL team. <laughs> and it's the one with fungus on it. You know, like we ain't, we're not, we're nothing special. But in New England, they knew good and well. My 17 plays at fullback were equally as valuable as Tommy's 67 at quarterback. The punter and those three punts that he was going to have throughout the course of our 2007 season, because we didn't have to punt much. You know, it was more than three. We're going to be equally as valuable to the last play on the game when we lost to your Giants in Super Bowl 42. Nobody had a better power. No better, nobody, was, nobody was put up on this pedestal as greater. We all served and loved each other. And that's what made those great teams. So you talk about Bill Belichick. What, what I love about Bill is that he practiced what he preached. Like people want to hear stories, and I've got stories for days. But the, the most beautiful, awesome thing about Bill is, is he lived out what he preached. He preached a yeah. team first mentality. He preached nobody outworks us. He preached, we're going to put in the extra hours. We're going to, there's no rock left unturned. We're going to dot every I, cross every T. That man couldn't, he would sleep on his couch throughout the season because he wasn't going to let anyone outwork him, outstudy him, outprepare him. He, the stuff that he brought to the table, I always tell these players, man, if you just shut up and listen, Bill will make you a better player in one day. If you will just shut your freaking mouth, humble yourself and listen, Bill will transform your football mind. And then if you're really humble, you're going to take everything that he teaches you and then you're going to let it impact every other, every other area of your life. Because relationships are hard, right? Yeah. Doing what y'all do in the, in the philanthropic world, it's hard, right? It takes countless hours. You don't get a lot of applause. Everything worthwhile in life is hard. And so if I'm going to praise Bill for anything, I'm going to praise Bill for two things. One, he practiced what he preached. And he's one of the most, and this is going to shock people, he's one of the most humble, transparent men I've ever been around in my life. Super Bowl 42, Jay, we lost. He comes in to that locker room after. There's a lot of coaches that I've heard, oh, this loss is on me. I should have done this better, but y'all could have blah, 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 blah. 
oh, this is on me, but you should have, oh, this is on me, but if you wouldn't have thrown that interception. That ain't an apology. That ain't ownership. Ownership is when you come in after a potential 19-0 Super Bowl win to literally just cement every 53-man on that roster, all the coaches, and especially Bill Belichick, in history as the greatest team ever. And yeah. you truly believe that you cost your team based on your poor coaching performance and you own it in front of all 53 men, in front of the whole coaching staff with no excuse, with no butt attached to it. And that's what Bill did that day in 2007, actually early 2008, in that Arizona locker room before a bunch of broken men that sacrificed everything for 20 plus weeks and we fell short to a better team on that day. But he owned it. There was no excuses. There was no finger pointing. And that's real masculinity. That's real manhood. And what did he do? He went and watched that film. He studied and he learned from his mistakes. He studied and he learned. And what did they do? They went and won three more Super Bowl rings over the course of the next 10 years. Why? Because yeah. he suffered well. He took responsibility where he fell short. He, he mastered what, he, what, he, what, what were those just human errors and mistakes. He learned from them. And that's what I respect about Bill. He is gifted. He is brilliant. He is a whole bunch of things. Um, but those two things are um, why I love him, why I still talk to him today, why if anything, if anyone ever badmouths that dude about anything they don't know about because they only read bullet point headlines in the BS media, that's why I attack them and I go after them because they don't know Bill that I know. And he is the real deal. And he showed up for me in the hardest seasons of life. And he is, he is forever my coach. Oh man, thank you for that insight, dude. Uh, you know, it's 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 great to hear stories like that because you you know you lived it, you were there, you experienced it. So, um, you know, us as spectators and you as a player, it's like two different uh, point of views. And you know, I think a lot of people are interested in the mind that is Bill Belichick. So, for you just to give us that little bit of insight, letting us, letting us know like the human side of him, because you know, obviously, when he does his media stuff, he's very to the point. Doesn't really elaborate much. Yeah. Um, so it's good to hear somebody who played for him. Um, and most of the guys that, that have played for him speak very high of him. And, you know, they, they also speak well of his, his football mind and, and, and how he, you know, it's, it's, it's part of a system and you have to be, it's, you know, no man is greater than, than, than the other. That's why historically guys have went there and they've asked for X amount of dollars because they believe that they're the great player. And then they end up getting shipped off somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, that's just a testament to who he is and, 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 you know, and, and how he likes to run his team. So thank you for that insight, man. Um, Jay, let me give you I, a little bit more real quick, if I can. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Love this. Give it you all, bro. About, yeah, you talk about him in front of the media and mm -hmm. he has a plan. And one of the mottos that I live off of and I, I try to teach other men is that we are planners. We have to be planners. To be disciplined, you first, has to, you first have to be planned out. If you're not planned out, you don't know what, what you need to discipline yourself to do. And so people are always like, why is he so cold? Why the short answers? Why doesn't he kind of let us behind the curtain, so to speak? Well, here's mm -hmm. the deal with injuries. And then he has plans that he's just so brilliant, I'll never understand. But with injuries, why he never talks about injuries and why he never lets us speak about anyone else was because we had this rule, speak for yourself. All right. The depths of that is very, very powerful. I don't have time to go into today. But the plan was, if, if any good coach knows that Heath Evans is hurt on Wednesday, 
He yeah. gets the domino step. Okay, how does this affect the game plan? Not only on mm. offense, but how does it affect special teams? Okay, he, he plays on punt, punt return, and kickoff return. So now who is going to go in those positions that hasn't played all year? Where's the weak link? Oh, okay. Uh. So a guy off of practice squad now has to get moved up to the active roster who hasn't played a snap of fullback all week. So, okay, this part of the arsenal of the offense, that's going to be restricted. This part of the arsenal of the offense, that's going to be restricted. But on special teams, okay, okay, here's how we can win on kickoff return now because they're going to have a weak link right here. So why any coach would ever give away information that you don't have to give is stupid. And people don't understand it. And people are so prideful and arrogant in the coaching space that they won't copy him just because, oh, we're going to do it our way. Well, Bill's like, all right, y'all do it your way. We're going to get the information you freely give that you don't have to give. And then we're going to plan around all your weaknesses all week long. And why do you think we beat teams in the fourth quarter all the time? Because we play it, we play it, we play it, we push, we push, we push. And then your weak link breaks before our weak link breaks. Why? Because we knew the, we knew the extreme weak links of your team, but there was a plan. Why does he plan to address the media the way he does? Because he's protecting information. He's protecting the team. He is putting the team in the best position to thrive. And so in life, if we're not planned out as in areas of our vices, if we don't have stuff set up that's going to keep us um, from the bar or that's going to keep us from the strip club or that's going to keep us from the casino or that's going to keep us from the computer late at night and we don't need to be looking at porn, whatever it is, if there's no plan, we will fail. People don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Bill has a plan for everything. And then he surrounds himself with coaches and team and teammates that are highly disciplined, highly structured, and they follow his lead. And then it all beautifully just supports itself. Oh man. Thank you for that too, man, dude. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, more insight. Cause you know, most people would just view that as he's just this cold guy who doesn't really like to talk to the media. And now you've given us that, that, you know, from the player's point of view, he's protecting his team. He's protecting the people that, that he works with and he goes to war with every Sunday or, or Monday night, whatever have you, whatever day it is, he's protecting those people. So, I mean, that's a beautiful thing to hear. Um, I'm still enamored by your, 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 your NFL career. So we're going to stay on that path. Right. So you, you spend what, four years with the Pats. Yeah. And then you head over to the saints, correct? Yeah. For two, so, two, so years. two years with the saints. Uh, tell us about the, you know, the duration of time you spent with the saints and, you know, what was it like playing in New Orleans? Um, you were there when Drew Brees was there, correct? Yep. We tell did. us about Drew. I mean, He's a, he's a, you know, uh, a crafty guy on the field. I feel like he's a great field general. Um, just give us a little bit of insight of uh, your, your, your time in, uh, in New Orleans as well. Drew's, Drew's an overcomer. Um, the pathway to New Orleans, I, I felt like Judas betraying Jesus when I left Bill and all that they had done for me. Mm -hmm. But the wisdom and the insight and the instruction that Bill had taught me for four years, I used to choose the right team. I had a bunch of other teams after me, teams that were playoff Super Bowl contenders the year before, but I knew based on the reality of what Bill had taught me about myself, where are my weaknesses, where are my strengths, I knew that I wasn't going to be a good fit there. Despite them wanting to pay me way more than New Orleans ever paid me, I just knew based on the wisdom and insight Bill gave me that I'm not going to work there. So I went to the seven and nine New Orleans Saints and everyone thought I was nuts. 
But again, yes, by, by the grace of God, it worked out in my favor, but, but Bill had taught me so much football. And one thing that really impressed me about the Saints is that when Sean Payton, the head coach, and Mickey Loomis, the GM, called me to recruit me, they're like, hey, listen, we don't have all the answers. Bill seems to. You've been a significant piece of that puzzle. We need that piece on our team. We need a fullback. We need, a, we need an athletic guy that can do a bunch, but really we need your leadership. We need to know what they know that we don't know. And I was immediately attracted to that humility because Sean Payton was already highly regarded as one of the best play callers to ever call the game. Yeah. But yet he was coming to me as like, hey, we need help. And they have answers we don't. And so I was like, okay, check one, that's good. Now let me dig into this team. Sean was right. They were a few pieces away and they were so close the year before. It didn't look like it on paper to the uneducated eye. And honestly, even to a lot of the guys in the NFL, like, why are you going to New Orleans? You idiot that had played the game longer than me. I'm like, this team is close. And they added some very strategic pieces that off season. And we went on to win a Super Bowl in 2009. We went from seven and nine um, to Super Bowl champion winners. Um, but more suffering week seven of that year, Lo and behold, back on Miami's field in Miami, um, I'm having the best year of my career. Peter King and others are getting ready to vote me midseason all-pro with the fullback position. I've got three touchdowns in, in five games. Um, we are leading the league in passing and leading the team in rushing through seven weeks, six games. Never been done mm -hmm. before in all of football. We were unstoppable. You could not put a defense out there uh, that had any answers for what we wanted to do to you. We were so um, versatile in every one of our packages, but late in the fourth quarter against Miami, we have a big comeback win. We dominate the fourth quarter, win a game that we should have lost. Um, I blew my knee out. And so my, wow. year, my year was done. And so I have the, the, the opportunity again to suffer well or to suffer and mope and pout. Sean asked me, um, to stay around the team, to help coach my running backs, to serve the team, because we had a very young group of running backs. Um, we had Pierre Thomas, we had Reggie Bush, we had Mike Bell. We had some young guys that were very talented, but they needed accountability. They needed leadership. They needed the old dude to kind of thump them around. And so instead of going off and rehabbing my knee with the best of them, I stayed in New Orleans and rehabbed there um, and spent most of my day around the team, trying to love on that team and serve that team. And so it was a kind of a um, a blessing and a curse to, to go on and watch that city get something they so deserved. I love that city. I love those people. I love those teammates still to today. Um, they accomplished something so awesome, but listen, we're all competitors. It was hard to, to watch them on Super Bowl Sunday do that without me. You know, you so yeah. bad to be on the field, but um, literally bonded with those guys for life. Got back in 2010. My knee was never really the same. I, 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 looked, <laughs> I looked like a... a, a <laughs> I looked like a normal white boy for the first time in my life. I couldn't really run very fast. I was chunkier than I wanted to be. Um, I wasn't as explosive and fast as athletic as I was. And it was a hard season for me. Uh, we played pretty well. We won 11 games. We lost in the first round of the playoffs. But again, another season that was full of a lot of suffering. And um, it, it, uh, it served its purpose. Oh, man. Damn, that's a, that's a kind of a, I mean, it's a, it's a great story. The, the blowing out of the knee kind of brought me down a little bit, man. Um, I'm sorry. Nah, dude, it's all good. Uh, you know, I just, it's great listening to these stories, man, because you've experienced things that I think a lot of kids dream of, you know, to play in the NFL, to play for some of the greatest minds 
that football has ever seen, man. You know, being around guys like Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, um, Peyton. I mean, it, it, you know, the list goes on and you, you were, you were lucky. You were blessed enough to be around such, such great minds and such great talent. Like some of the players that you've played with, I mean, are legendary in their own right hall of famers. Um, you know, I mean, you play with Tom Brady, man, he's the goat, you know, and you know, the, the, the comeback kid, as I like to call him, yeah. he, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing to, to really sit down and have conversations like this with, with, uh, with guys like you who are, you know, humbled enough to share these, these experiences and these stories with, uh, with, with Frank and myself. So I just want to say, I appreciate you sharing these stories with us, man. Um, it's been a blessing today just to listen to these stories and really just pick your brain. And, 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 uh, you know, I've taken a lot from this conversation, Frankie, I know Frankie is sitting there. He, he's enamored when Frankie has that look on his face. He's just soaking it all in and he's letting it brew because his comeback is going to be pretty swift. Got to. What do you got, Frankie? We're, 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 we're on to Cincinnati, you know? <laughs> I've been waiting to say that for a while now uh, because, wow, thank you, Heath, because you see how the podcast just three, three men, right? Take away career, take away religion, take away race. Three men having a conversation, talk about suffering that led to the truth of Heath Evans, which we didn't know about. Our listeners are not going to know anything about that. And you're taking ownership and responsibility of I had to suffer to get to where I am. And that's just, you know, you would like to see from a fan's perspective of, you know, NFL players taking ownership of that. And what took me back to one of my favorite players growing up, and I just have a question of what you think about him, Heath, is it was either Arnold Schwarzenegger or Greg Plitt, you know, rest in peace, Greg, um, told when I was 18 or 19 to take pictures of your heroes, put them in your, uh, every morning you wake up, that's who you're looking at, the first thing in the morning. Mm. It was Brian Dawkins. It was Derek Jeter, Captain America, even though he's not real. Um, it wasn't Chris <laughs> Evans at the time. Um, it was The Rock. And it was Tim Tebow. And when you told me about, when you talked about taking responsibility and quitting, my mind took me right to Tim, where he would never be a quarterback. He would never, but he didn't quit. Um, and when he lo- and when he lost to Old Miss when he was in Florida, that speech that he gave, I don't yes. think I've ever seen a speech like that from a 20 year old kid yeah. that mm-hmm. went on and took full responsibility and pushed himself. And I really think. That speech and his mindset and him making sure everyone had a purpose to make sure, okay, you know, you're playing like crap the, the, this past three weeks, but you all have a purpose. Same thing in a police precinct. You all have a purpose if you believe it. And if you have leaders like Tim and Heath, you know, um, that energy is so powerful where if you don't believe in yourself, but other guys around you believe in you, that's the power. That's where, that's where life comes about. And I'm, you know, really really just you know speechless with the podcast because it it worked out great and that my my mind just brought me to tim where you know they the broncos beat the steelers but can you imagine if he just gave up and just you know obviously he did he did his best in his nfl career but he he didn't quit oh you're a tight end you're not a quarter but he he didn't uh he didn't listen to that he listened to himself and god so i don't know if you had ever ever had any conversations with tim but you got it just brought me right to tim i don't know why I mean, you talked about B. Doc, which Dawkins, dear Lord, that boy, he's a, he's a headache giver. Um, <laughs> but one of, 
those guys that I always so respected. You know, when I was coming into the league, and I'm just going to – I always tell the truth. Like, defensive players were dumb. Offensive players were smart. Most of the time, the DBs were probably more talented athletes than the wide receivers, but the wide receivers most of the time were smarter because they can learn all the route trees and the combinations and all that stuff. But I, I saw a shift that started with Bill Belichick only bringing in very – uh, mentally gifted athletes that could make millisecond decisions while they're sprinting a 4-4 down the field like a B-Doc, getting ready to, you know, smash a fullback like me. Um, I've got the utmost respect. Um, obviously, in the football world, I'm, I don't know the rock all that well. You know, uh, Jeter, I, I was scared of the baseball. My dad, I played one year when I was eight. I was, people were like, you're not scared to get hit by people and hit people? No, I'm scared of that ball. I don't want to play this. <laughs> you know? um, but, um Tim Tebow, I think the beauty, I, I remember, you know, him kind of ranting after that game, but the personal responsibility and the bar that he set, not only for himself and his teammates, but for the coaches. But then I remember Urban Meyer. And I think the beauty of that team, which we all need to remember, Aaron Hernandez, and I don't say this lightly, was probably the most gifted athlete I've ever seen but was very troubled. Yeah. And there was some aspect in that Florida team that, that overlooked his, his troubled heart to take advantage of the beauty that he gave us on Saturday afternoons and eventually Sunday afternoons. I think it's a, a good moment of reflection to, to know that, hey, we don't always know what's going on in people's hearts, minds, and souls. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. But if we are open... And if we are looking, I teach the men that I get an opportunity to pour into their lives. Like we want to be honoring men. We don't want to be men that flatter people. We don't want to be men that just off the cuff, try to encourage people. No, no. We want to spend time and get to know people. We want to honor people. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Let's pour into them. Let's care for them. And so urban and then those, those, so many of those great guys on that team, you know, I hate to look back in life and be like, I missed opportunities. You know, I never played with Aaron. But I think it's a good reminder that when we see things in people, don't be scared to reach out. There's a conversation that I got to have later today um, with um, one of my daughter's best friend's family. Their oldest daughter tried to commit suicide last night. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know their oldest daughter. I know their, their middle daughter who's best friends with Maeva. And I've had it on my heart for months to reach out to the dad because the dad lives in massive dysfunction and the home's falling apart. And now you got the oldest daughter that tried to take her life last night. And by the grace of God, she's going to be fine, but it's hard conversations. I wasn't ignoring the dysfunction, but I was like, ah, oh, where's the right time to get in? How do you, how do you do it? Like, how do you even make that phone call? Like, he's going to get offended. Screw the offense. Listen, I can live with myself if I reach out and get rejected. I can live with myself if I reach out and they don't take my advice. But it's hard to sit back in life and be like, man, I saw dysfunction. I saw someone's hurt. I saw someone's heartbreak. And I didn't do anything about it. We're not yeah. rescuers. We have no power to rescue people. But we do have the power to, to make good choices and to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations that might have the potential to lead someone else to truth where they can get whole. 
because listen, this 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 young girl that tried to take her life last night, she she is a reflection of her environment. She's she's been hurt and she's been wounded. She's 19 years old. And uh the world considers her an adult, but she's just a broken little girl. And so I'm gonna force myself out of my comfort zone later today to try to make a conversation happen in hopes that God just might do what he does and rescue someone else's heart like he rescued mine. But I'm, I'm done sitting back, you know? And so you bring up Tim Tebow, and I'm sorry, I, I took this thing in a totally different direction, but I don't, hopefully somebody's here today. As men, we push ourselves out of our comfort zone to do the right thing. And we do it every freaking day. And for me, I have declarations written on my wall of how I go after my life. Why do I have them written on the wall and written in the car? Because I need to see them. Because human nature is I forget the hard stuff. And I always want to take the easy way out. But I got to remind myself I got to do the hard stuff. I got to remind myself I got to suffer well. I got to remind myself that I need to form relationships with Jason and Frankie so that when life's kicking me in the balls, I got men to run to and say, I need help because I ain't got no answers. Hold me up when I can't stand on my own. And every single one of us in life is going to get to that point at some point in time. And we need men. We need men. We need healthy, masculine relationships. So I'm, I'm, I'm done, and I'll, I'll be quiet for a minute. Sorry to get all emotional, but it's, it's your fault, Frankie. You. <laughs> thank, thank you for sharing we, we, that, man. Yeah, man, we appreciate that. It's, uh, it's always a beautiful thing when, uh, you know, we can see that side of a, of, of a man. I think a lot of people try like I said, I said earlier in the podcast, everybody wants to be macho, everybody wants to be, you know, wants to have this bravado about them. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're human, right? And we feel and we have emotion. And that's how you become a greater man is by, you know, expressing these emotions and getting it out in the right channels instead of taking it and letting it out in a dysfunctional way. That's right. So, you know, that is a, that is a beautiful thing, man. So I appreciate you sharing that story with us. And um, uh, this conversation today has, has helped me as a man, has helped me as a believer in Christ. So I just want to say thank you, man. And I, I, I appreciate you taking the time today and speaking with us. Um, this, this is a conversation that I'll never forget, man. It, it's, it's going to be etched in my mind for, uh, for ages, man. So I'm very thankful for you. I'm very thankful for Frankie for allowing me to be able to sit in and have this conversation today, man. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm, and I'm very thankful. Brothers for life. We, we might yes, not meet in person. I hope we do. But listen, this is, as you guys said, with the first responders crew, like you got guys in Kansas chatting online with guys in, in, in Texas that because the distance, it creates some, some level of vulnerability. And so um, I've made two new brothers today and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity as well, man. Appreciate you guys, both y'all. No, thank, thank you, Heath. Thank I, you. Uh, I, I just second what Jay said. I, I actually needed this conversation for, for myself um and uh i just want to thank you so much for that because you just hit on a lot of things that um like you said the human mind wants to forget you know and i needed that remembrance today of um that suffering piece and and i needed that not to give up piece of you know some certain other things you're going through in life is just one more day right let's just get, make it through one more day. And then we get to the next day. Okay. Let's make it through one more day. And, and God or your higher power power has a plan. So, you know, I thank you for that. Heath. um, before we wrap up just a few more personal questions for you to get the listeners to get to know you a little better. Yeah. Uh, if you have one, one meal to eat every day for the rest of your life, 
Healthy or unhealthy? What are you going with? Donuts. <laughs> donuts, donuts, donuts. Oh, that was fun. Hey, it, I mean, listen, burgers is like a, a distant, 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 distant second. But, man, my, listen, Michael Hurd, my workout partner, one of my best friends, he is like – I'm not vain enough to be ripped year round. So like I'm, I'm on a six week challenge right now with all my my guys that I'm mentoring and loving on, um, and so we're 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 getting we're getting lean and mean. But man, the day that six weeks is done, I'm going to be probably in Vegas with Pink Box Donuts. My boy Steve Siegel owns this place in Vegas. They're the best donuts in the world, and I'm going to crush three dozen of them. And I, yes, I can eat that many. Oh man, love it, um, love it, love it. If you're a diabetic, do not take my advice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, disclaimer. Stay away. <laughs> um, one work. If you have one workout, one main compound movement, one accessory to do every day for the rest of your life, um, don't worry about uh, recovery. You, your body will recover every day. What are you going with? Power cleans. You, you get a you get a you get a, a, a squat variation in there. You get something that's going to work your hamstrings. You get something that's going to work your glutes, your posterior chain. Those low back muscles that connect to the glutes and hamstrings are going to be strengthened. You get an upper back pull, you get a, a trap pull to, to support your neck. Um, and listen, if you give me, you know, 95 pounds or 395 pounds, um, I can get a great conditioning workout with the 95 pounds and I can stay really, really, really strong um, with a, with a heavy power clean. I, there's so many different variations of strength coaches and what we believe and our, our athletes have just gotten away from the one power movement that actually transformed. I don't care if you're a tennis player, Tiger Woods, you know, at four in the morning in Jupiter, Florida, my hometown is Palm Beach Gardens. Palm Beach Gardens and Jupiter are next door neighbors. Gold's Gym would shut down for a Tiger, you know, from four to five thirty every day. You know what he was in there doing? He was in there training like I was, a professional football player to be a professional golfer. Why was he out stroking everyone else? Because he was he was power cleaning and he was power snatching and he was doing all these things that he was just ahead of the game. And so you give me one you give me one exercise. I'm a power clean to the uh, what's the thing? Till the something comes home. I don't know. I'm horrible at this. Right? Cows come home. Cows. There we go. Till the uh, donuts come home. Yeah, the donuts. What? <laughs> and if you're gonna superset that one accessory movement, what would it be? Military press. Well, military press would probably be another compound lift, you know, because it, it's, I mean, it's um, hanging abs. So my wife still thinks I'm sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite movie. I know that's going to be tough. If you have one or two top movies that come to your head, what are you going with? Rocky Four. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a, a fan favorite. Yeah, Rocky Four. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about suffering, right? And that, you know, that's yeah. the movie right there. Oh, tell Hello. Answer it. Let's see who it is. Let's let them ask a question. Uh, one person to meet, dead or alive, to hang out with. Who's it going to be? Well, I mean, the, the the super Bible beater thing would be, you know, Jesus, but I'm not going to do this. Um, Ronald Reagan, before, wow. before Ooh, I like he, that. I really like that. He, before he suffered with dementia and stuff, it's funny, you know, in this point in history in America, he just seemed to be so far ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. like he, he like basically prophesied all the stuff that we're seeing in, in our, in our streets now. Yeah. So 
even even with the liberal agenda and its effect on masculinity, he called it. And I'm like, now listen, he was a professed believer in Jesus, but he was an actor. He had this wealth of information from so many different walks of life that, and and it, it always wisdom like is it, just intriguing to me because I'm reading all this stuff now that he said back in the early '80s, and I'm like, doggone man, why didn't we pay attention to this man more? And it ain't even this isn't Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative. Like this was just matter of fact truth that like if we would just stay grounded in, we'd all be getting along a lot lot better. Our schools would be a lot healthier, you know, the, the equality status, and not just black to white, but equal, like just even our positioning from male to female would be healthy and much stronger. And yep. now we live in a society where like, we, I don't, I don't, I ain't going to offend anybody this morning. I'll just, I'll be quiet, but Ronald Ray. Amen. We'll I like it. it. We'll take it. We'll Last take question. It. You come to New York, you're chilling with me and Jay. I pull up a tarp. It's a time machine. Anywhere in the past, anywhere in the future, you're going as Heath Evans today or when you're hanging out with us. Heath Evans right now, where are you going? Ooh, all right, we'll get real. In, in 2010, um, when I blew my knee out, um, I had let unknowingly, I started to le let 10 years of a hard marriage creep into my heart and make me bitter and angry towards my ex-wife. Um, I also unknowingly got mad at God and I didn't know, but I was in the middle of my best year, Super Bowl year, and I blew up my knee. Well, I started making choices and decisions that wouldn't, wouldn't come to life for two years that ended up leading me to, to walk into adultery and cheat on my wife and devastate her and devastate Ava and Naomi. And so if I was going to take a time machine back, knowing what I know now, I'd, I'd, I'd go back and I'd be very forgiving of my ex-wife. I'd be very loving. And despite suffering with a busted up knee and feeling like a potential losing my career and losing all these other stuff, I, I, would, I would choose to, to serve and love instead of being a selfish prick. Amen. I like thank it. you for that. Yeah. Seriously, thank you. That's all I can say is thank you. Um, on that note, this is Frank. You guys know where to find me, at reps underscore four underscore responders. My man, Jay, where can they find you at? You can find me on Instagram at the real jumpman Jay. And Heath, where can they at, find you at? At Heath Evans 44. All, yes, sir. All, all of them there. So um a uh we all we all um jay uh, frank we are we i follow you but uh jay will you you send me a message so i can hit you back and follow you we just keep up man i'll send you my cell yes, sir. We'll, uh, we'll listen frank give him my cell let's let's stay connected all right yeah absolutely man uh, like Love i said like i said earlier man thank you forever grateful for this conversation i needed it today uh this this definitely was uh something my soul and my heart needed so i appreciate you for this man Amen. I love it. Thank you. Appreciate you guys, man. Love the work y'all are doing. Man, if, you, you're, if you're hearing my voice, press in to what these men are selling. We need men. We need community. We need accountability. We hard work works. So do the hard work of commit to the program. If you're suffering with fear, depression, anxiety, you name it, 
first responders, I love you. These men want to serve you. Plug in. Get it done today. Don't wait. Do not wait. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for that, man. All right, guys. Thanks. All right, right, man. Have a good one, brother. Have a good day, guys. See ya.